Hi, everybody, and welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio. I am your host, Albert Hardy, and today I want to address some things found in the New Testament in the Gospels. And I want to start in Luke 13, and starting in verse 18. Then Jesus said, and I'm reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation, What is the kingdom of God like, and how can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden, and it grows and it becomes a tree, and the birds make nests in its branches. He also asked, What else is the kingdom of God like? He's always talking about the kingdom of God and about the resurrection. And that's going to enter into this episode. It is like a woman. I'm sorry. It is like yeast. Yeast that a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a small, a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. God's kingdom is going to permeate the world, the whole thing. Jesus went through the towns and villages, verse 22, Luke 13, teaching as he went, always pressing toward Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will there only be a few saved? And he replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom, for many will try to enter, but will fail. We want to explore who is that, and why are they failing? Verse 25, when the master of the house has locked the door, it'll be too late. You will stand outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you've come from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you come from. Get away from me, all you who do evil. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you will be thrown out. And people will come from all over the world, from the east and west, north and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this, some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be the least important then, unquote. So, how do you differentiate? Both are trying to enter. You notice that? Both are trying to enter God's kingdom. Now, let's go back to uh, chapter 12 for a second. And um, verse 35. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. 
the servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he will himself seat them, put put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. This is God serving us? Wow. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn. But whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar were, um, I'm sorry, a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You must also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. What do you think about that? Peter certainly was thinking about it. In verse 41, he says, Lord, is that illustration for, or just for us or for everyone? And the Lord replied, A faithful and sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he then begins to beat the other servants, party, and get drunk, the master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut that servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. See, these are the guys that wanted to enter in and didn't do anything about it, didn't accept the truth, didn't research and find the truth. They weren't listening. And they were accounted by Jesus as unfaithful. Verse 47, And a servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions, will be severely punished. But someone who does not know any better, in other words, and then does something wrong, will be punished only lightly. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Unquote. Now, who and what am I or are you, and how do you figure it out? What is righteous indignation? And if there's righteous indignation, there has to be an unrighteous indignation. What's the difference? Well, I'll give you my take on it. Righteous indignation is protecting someone you love. And you go after those who are trying to hurt them. That's righteous indignation. It's like Jesus, when he made a scourge of small cords and drove out the money changers and the cattle and overturned the tables. That's righteous indignation. Because he's trying to protect truth, 
trying to protect the temple and the things of God. Here's an example of unrighteous indignation. Let's say you're a boy and you're playing basketball with someone or with a group of boys and someone did something mean to you or to some one of your friends but especially let's let's put it back on you someone did something to you that you didn't like they stole the ball or something and what do you do you grab the ball when it becomes available and you throw it at the kid's face that's not righteous indignation that's unrighteous indignation it's revenge it's taking revenge for someone who hurt you doesn't give a hang about someone else their feelings their health or their importance so that's the difference unrighteous versus righteous indignation and so it is with righteous entering into God's family or his kingdom. We must be righteous. God said, or Jesus said, that those that worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, you can go to any church today, virtually any church today, And will you hear truth? No. You will hear what they heard in college, in seminary, if they went at all. Most of the preachers and pastors, I'd say 95% of them, have no formal education, no formal training in the scriptures. And not that you're going to hear truth in there, For example, when I went to Grace Theological Seminary up in Winona Lake, Indiana, our New Testament literature uh, class was in this theater. And it was kind of a half-round theater with multi-levels. Really nice theater. But the first thing he said to our class, uh, the New Testament literature class, was, I am not here to teach you truth. (laughs) What? I'm not here to teach you truth. And we wanted to know, well, what are we here for? What What are you here to teach us? And he said, I am here to teach you the doctrines of the church. And I thought, oh, great, what am I doing here? I don't want to hear this. I don't want to know what the church teaches. I want to know what God's Word says. That's the only thing that matters to me. So I was heavily disappointed on the very first day. But, oh, how times have changed. The college is a lot different than it was in 1970. And now the campus is huge. It's expanded a whole lot, and there are different people, obviously, there. But hopefully, they are now teaching truth. I don't know that. I haven't been there in (laughs) decades. 
But still, we must celebrate God in truth. I say celebrate God in truth. We must worship him in truth. What constitutes worship? Emulation. Emulation. Imitation. We are imitating. We are mimickers. That's what we are. We're reflectors. We're, we're not the light. We are reflectors of his light. And he said to us, pray that your light be not darkness. Darkness is untruth. We must seek truth and purvey that. If we're to be adequate member, uh, ministers and or members of his church, that is exactly what we must hold to, truth. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? I'm certainly uh, wanting to and trying to. Do we live by Jesus' words? In chapter 14, I want to read this to you. Starting in uh, verse 7 of Luke. Luke 14, verse 7. When Jesus noticed that all who, were, or who, who had come to the dinner um, were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit down at the seat of honor what if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, Give this person your seat, and you will be embarrassed, and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then, when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place picked out for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this is a clue. This is, this is something we all need to do. Humble ourselves. Verse 12, Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet... He said, Don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, and your rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and you or and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. So that's doing something righteous. Your righteousness, what is righteousness anyway? It is love. David said that um, all your commandments, O oh God, it are righteousness. God is righteous and God is holy. What is holiness? Holiness is love. It's righteousness. It's righteous living. Verse 14, Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. And so it is.
Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast, and he sent out invitations, many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent um, his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and I must go inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to go try them out. Plowing the fields, probably. Please excuse me. Another said, I have now a wife, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they all had said. And his master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come, so that my house will be full. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet. A large crowd was following Jesus. Verse 25, chapter 14, Luke. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison your father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. That's a pretty heavy load, really. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For... Who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there was enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against, against him. If he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own, Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And that's the end of chapter 14. We are all to count the costs count the cost. That's part of this deal. 
you can learn how to be one of his true disciples who will make it into the kingdom just by studying the words of Christ himself. He was the greatest of all prophets. He was way more than that, too. He was God himself. He is the maker of our planet. I've heard it said so many times that we are going to be raptured out of here and taken away from all of our troubles and all of our responsibilities and we go to heaven when we die and things like this. Are any of those things found in the Bible? No, no, no. They're not. Whoa, 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 wait a minute now, wait a minute. Surely they wouldn't be teaching things that weren't true, right? Wrong. No, there's a lot of false teaching out there. A whole lot of false teaching. But does it come from the Bible? No, it most certainly does not. I had a conversation with a fine gentleman today. And he and I got to talking about Jesus and about his word and what really is true. And it came on the subject of hell. And, you know, he was steeped just like I was in that type of religious teaching. But was it ever biblical? Is there anything in the Bible that says that there is such a thing as eternal conscious torment. I'm here to say not one word about it anywhere. And then if you confront someone about that, and he's well-versed in the Bible, he'll flip on over to Revelation 20 and talk about the beast and the false prophet and all that. In verse 10 of Revelation 20, it says this, Then the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, where, or, and the next sentence says, There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Ta-da! Proof text. Bingo. Game over, man. No, 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 no. Let's back up to verse uh, 6. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death has no power. It's not the second life he's talking about. It's a second death. There is a resurrection to judgment, and when that judgment ends in sentencing and that sentence is death, guess what happens? They die for the second time, and this time there is no resurrection. There is no resurrection from the second death. For them the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. And I know this is a big subject and uh, we really have to be careful how we learn this doctrine. If you listen to people and just parrot back what they say, the Bible says, you will be lost in error. 
because it doesn't say what they think it does. The beast, first of all, is not a human. The beast, in my view, and this is me, the beast is Islam. It's an ideology. It's a government system. It's a payment system with finance and investment. It is a um, religion, yes, but is it godly religion? Is it the true religion? Is it the one and only? Is it worshiping the one and only true God who made the world and everything in it? No. So, as an ideology, it gets cast into the lake of fire. Tormented day and night can mean something more than just a, uh, a torture chamber. It can also mean ridicule. Ridicule. They will, or there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Well, if we take the whole counsel of God and we go back to Ezekiel 28, we find what happens to the devil himself. If he's not going to be alive forever, then he'll be ridiculed. He won't be tormented in the way that most people teach that he will. And I suggest you read the whole thing about Satan here. Uh, Let's see, starting in um, verse 11 all the way down to verse 19. But I just want to start in uh, verse 18 and read the rest so you can get an idea. You defiled your sanctuaries with your many sins and your dishonest trade. So I brought fire out from within you. And this is God speaking about what he's doing or going to do to Satan. And it consumed you, the fire that consumed. Read the book by Edward Fudge. I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All who knew you are appalled at your fate, and you have come to a terrible end, and you will exist no more. Now that sounds like the second death to me, although he had never died the first time. That's the end of him. That's the end of him. So now we've got the end of Satan the devil. We've got the end of the beast because uh, Islam will not continue after the return of Christ. That's the end of all world religions. There will only be worship of the one and only true God, and he will be here on the planet living and reigning right here for a thousand years. And that is just the beginning, really. Back to Revelation 20 and verse 11. Wait, now let's go back and hit the false prophet. Who is the false prophet? Well, the false prophet is all the world religions. That's also going to go away and be ridiculed. It will be ridiculed day and night forever and ever. Nobody will ever want those things again. They're going to be gone forever and ever. 
that is my take on it. And no doubt you can find people that disagree. You can find that pretty easy on everybody and everything. So what do I base this on? What's left over after a fire? Smoke, ash, soot, etc. But um, that also can be what's left over after a man's life ends. His reputation. Now, you can uh, read the 19th chapter of Revelation, verse 3, for a reference, but let's go to Jeremiah 23.40. Jeremiah 23.40 says this, And I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you, and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. See, that's a reputation that never dies. Now, let's read that, Jeremiah 23, 40, in the NLT. That was King James. He says here, And I will make you an object of ridicule. There it is. And your name will be infamous throughout the ages. Now, what's he talking about? Those who don't tell the truth. If you'll back up to uh, verse 30 and read on down, you'll get the whole idea. And I can see I'm out of time, but I love studying God's Word. I hope you go to my website, itellwhy.com or jesusiswhy.com. There's nothing for sale on those, and you can read all about these things. Thank you for tuning in today, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Have a great day.